Ugly. Chapter 14. Things Written Down. Things in class were almost as dire as they were on the sporting field. I made it to grade three, where I had my first male teacher, Mr. French. He was tall with a booming voice and bushy beard. The nuns I'd had in grades one and two were mysterious, unknowable, but Mr. French was a civilian. We spent long days tackling spelling and multiplication and grammar, but we seemed to spend most of our time on handwriting. We were expected to master running writing or cursive. My attempts were so shaky, so misshapen, so ugly, it looked like I'd interpreted running writing to mean writing done while running in a race. Not good enough, Robert. You've got to try harder, Mr. French said again and again. Don't worry so, don't hurry so much. Slow down and think about what you're doing with your pen. Finally, it was time for a test. Not a spelling test or a vocabulary test, a handwriting test. Mr. French would read out a sentence and we had to write it down as neatly as we could. I slowed down and did okay for the first three or four letters, but I quickly fell behind as Mr. French read the next sentence and I had to rush to catch up. This meant messy letters again. After a few painful sentences, we finished. My paper might as well have been covered in the etchings of an alien language, written left-handed while standing on my head, in a pool. My test came back with a single check mark on the entire page and lots of very precise, neat X marks, one out of ten. Mr. French called me and, and two other kids to the front of the class. He told us there was no reason her handwriting that messy and we clearly hadn't been practicing. I started going red. It was the first time I'd been called out in front of the class for bad schoolwork. Then he said four words that scarred me for life. Hold out your hands. Schools at the time still punished students by whacking their hands or bottoms with straps or a long, thin piece of wood called a cane. We were going to get a, the cane. I'd been in trouble at school before, but most of the time that just meant a whack on the bottom from one of the nuns. After I heard the initial whack, I wished I'd been first in line. I closed my eyes and started to slowly curl my fingers. Hand flat, Robert, Mr. French said as he approached me. He brought the cane down on my hand, and I thought it was going to split in two. It left a cranky red mark across my hand, my hand, writing hand. I closed my eyes again and tried not to cry. Right then and there, I decided that what my words meant and said were more important than how they looked. I decided I'd always choose writing faster over writing neat. I'd sacrifice legibility on the altar of speed. Looks didn't matter so much. Grade four was worlds better. I had one of the best teachers of all my school years, Gary Bolton. He was young and energetic. He played the guitar and taught us how to make tacos. He showed us batik, letting us paint wax patterns on cloth and t-shirts and spill dye everywhere. And he read us passages from the Lord of the Rings in which the two tiny hobbits, Frodo and Sam, are taken by the evil Gollum into the lair of the giant spider, Shelob. Gollum leads them there as a ruse, so Shelob can sting them and he can regain the ring. I'd be one of the kids clamoring for more, more, please, sir, when Mr. Bolton would eventually sigh and say it was enough for that day. I told him how exciting it was to be hearing a story from such a big book. You know what, Robert, he said, maybe you could write one of your own someday. I'd never really thought about that before. Life outside of the classroom was changing for me, too. I was getting better at dealing with other kids. If someone started teasing me, I did my best to ignore it. 
I was also starting to understand that I could try to ignore or shake off the way I felt when people called me names. At home, I was learning how to deal with my four older siblings, learning how to argue, even while losing 82% of the arguments I had with them and almost all of the arguments I got into with my parents. I was starting to understand what was easy and comfortable and what was more challenging. I was starting to conquer my disability and grasp my place in the small world I inhabited. Then I met my first true love. Her name was Michelle. She was new to the school. Michelle and her older sister were just starting at Guardian Angels that year. She had deep brown eyes and hair three shades from red. She was in Mr. Bolton's class with me, enjoying math and English and batik and eating tacos along with everyone else. She seemed distant, but in a warm way that felt like she just really hadn't got to know many people yet. I decided she simply had to be my girlfriend. I didn't know much about girls, but I knew I couldn't just go up to her and say something. I wondered for a little while about the best way to communicate my deep-felt passion, and I decided to commit it to paper. I grabbed a pencil and ripped a sheet of paper from my exercise book. The page came out with a ragged tear, and the pencil turned out to be a green one. But that would have to do. In my head, what I wrote read like the most exquisite poem ever committed to paper by a 10-year-old. It was smart and beautiful poetry from a midget Shakespeare. Mr. Bolton had said maybe I could write a book someday, so surely this would be easy. The next challenge was to deliver the poem to Michelle. I thought about leaving it for her in class, but I had the sense that it might end up getting me in trouble. My best bet would be to deliver the note at lunchtime. Find Michelle, give her the note, and wait for endless love. Easy. The problem was that the girls and boys played on different parts of the playground. There was the occasional border skirmish, but crossings from one side to the other were rare. I stood near the border of the girls' area, waiting, trying to spot Michelle. Robert F. came and joined me and asked what I was doing. I'm looking for Michelle, I said, to give her a message, uh, to give a message to her. Can't see her, Robert F. said. Nope. A few other boys came to join us, and when I explained what I was doing, one of them shouted out, Hey, girls, come here for a second, would you? Hey, girls. It was loud enough to attract attention, and two girls wandered over. Robert wants to get this message to Michelle. Can you find her and give it to her? One of the girls nodded. She held out her hand, and I gave her the note containing what felt like the two most important sentences I've ever written. Right. The the girl then moved a few steps away and said, We'll give it to Michelle, but we need to read it first. No! I yelled, horrified. The girl smiled and slowly unfolded the note. You want Michelle to be your girlfriend? She said. You? The other girl laughed, too, and a couple of the boys behind me sniggered. Then came the reminders. You've got a funny nose, one of the girls said, and no legs, one of the boys behind me said. Give it back, I said. No, we'll make sure we get it to Michelle. The school bell called us back to class, and the girl turned and ran. I tried to chase her, but she was faster than me. The note was either on its way to Michelle or to someone else entirely. I didn't have any idea what to do, but I had to get back to class. I spent the rest of the day worried that the message had been delivered to Michelle and equally worried that it hadn't. I didn't look at her once the whole afternoon. After endless nervous hours, school was over for the day. I was packed up, school bag over my shoulder, and ready to go faster than anyone, or so I thought. Michelle was faster. Before I could move, she was there, standing in front of my desk. Hi, Robert, she said and smiled. Hi, Michelle, I said. Now would be a good time to magically grow legs so I could run away, I thought. 
I got your note, she said. Oh, I could tell by the look in her eyes that it was not going to be good news. Michelle declined my offer of boyfriendship. It's just you're a boy, she said. I shrugged and escaped as fast as I could without saying a word. My love letter had only two sentences, and later I figured out I'd spelled her name wrong. I didn't even think to sign my name to it. Not my most successful piece of writing ever. I'd done it in a hurry, too, so it wasn't even neat. Mr. French would not have been impressed. The teasing subsided a few days later. Not once did I think Michelle had said no for any reason other than I was a boy. My time at Guardian Angels was coming to an end. Boys left the school after grade four and usually headed for Iona, where they do both middle and high school. You know what, Robert, my brother Michael said when we were talking about it at home one day. What? You know what they do at Iona if you spit on the ground. What? I asked, starting to worry. If you spit on the ground there, one of the seniors makes you get down on your hands and knees and lick it up. Michael started licking the air like it tasted nice. Do they really? I asked. Yep, Gary said. I saw it happen just the other day. Grade five kid had to lick up his spit from the quadrangle. Those seniors, they'll push your face right into the ground to make sure you lick up that spit. Michael and Gary took great delight in seeing how much this terrified me. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Any school that would make someone lick up their own spit, lick it up off the actual ground, must be really tough. The funny thing was, I was not like... I was not the kind of kid who ever in a thousand years would even think about spitting on the ground. I knew Dad would be displeased if I ever did something so crude. I don't know why I was so worried. Off to Iona I went, half expecting to see kids on all fours licking up spit. I'd survived my first four years of school, hadn't scared the girls too much, and was about to make my way in the big school down the road. Surely it couldn't be that bad, I thought. And it wasn't. It was worse.